Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. I am very excited to be back with another episode of the Voice Hacks podcast. Today, we have another vocal coach slash vocalist, a person like myself, who is both a performer and a vocal coach. And we have David Ockeson here today. How are you, David? Hello, I'm fine. Thank you. And how are you doing? I'm actually doing great. Life's good. <laughs> awesome. Post pandemic life. I'm happy, you know. <laughs> But let's start with you as a vocal coach for a second, because we don't have a lot of coaches on. I want to have more on. Yeah. But in metal, there's not it's not like an abundance of people in metal who coach vocals. You have become the vocal coach to a lot of symphonic and melodic metal singers um, throughout the world. And I just kind of wanted to see how did that come about for you that you began to you're obviously a metal vocalist yourself. Was that how you got into coaching metal singers? Um, tell me a little bit more about taking the vocal coach journey into the metal genre. Sometimes I describe myself as a classically trained musical theater nerd who ended up in metal. Nice. <laughs> you know, before I started to teach metal singers the way I do now, I, I worked at a, at a school, or I, I still do, teaching vocals all day to kids from 16 to 19. I guess in English you could call it like upper secondary school. They're still like in, in like normal, they still have normal classes like Swedish, English, math and all of that. But these kids shows some music like this as their specialization. So I, I teach them and during the autumn of 2019, I had had a lot of questions from, from people, you know, like, because I had some private students too, like, oh, too bad you're not doing online lessons. And I didn't because I used to think it was just crap. The world changed on us really fast. You know, I, I, I keep telling myself it's crap, but I never tried it. So during the autumn of 2019, I started to give lessons for free, like to a couple of friends. You know, just to, you know, try the format of, you know, teaching online. I mean, essentially it's the same. You're, you're doing the same thing. You're, you're trying to help someone else sing better. But the context is different. And, and also it, it, it turned out, you know, teaching in another language uh, and all of that. So I, I tried it out. And during like Christmas, I remember sitting at my, my mother-in-law and was like thinking, I'll give it a go. Let's just try it because you know I I during these tryout lessons I I found a couple of things like okay pro I could probably do this and you know the people that that I tried tried it out with they were very satisfied so like okay I can do this and after two months of doing that <laughs> the world ended or like <laughs> the pandemic hit. yeah and and that also made 
my normal day job, all of that was online too. So suddenly everything I did was online. And since I, I, I mean, before that, I, I had a small name of singing metal and doing some metal stuff. So when I just wrote this online and I kind of made a thing out of it, like, okay, you're, did your tour get canceled? Uh, get a free lesson, <laughs> you know, stuck at home. <laughs> I'll give it the first lessons free or stuff like that, you know, trying to help out. Wow. Yeah. Um, and a lot of metal people caught on to that. I never put out any ads or, or anything in my homepage. Still sucks. But uh, all through like uh, mouth to mouth or however you say it, like people saying, hey, this, this was awesome. Try it. Yeah. So it's kind of a coincidence because if I hadn't tried it out before the pandemic, I'm not sure I would have started. Wow. Okay. Metal singing isn't really that different from all the other stuff that I, that I teach. I, I also think that having the experience that I had, then after a while, everyone turned vocal coach. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because the, all the musicians that weren't on tour needed a job. There were so many people giving lessons during that time. And I respect that. Uh, but at the same time, it was like, Man, I've been doing this for 12 years. <laughs> you <know>? Yes. <laughs> it, it, and it's hard. <laughs> I, I have one friend who, who did it. And he, uh, he, he is a very popular and an, an amazing singer himself. But after a couple of days of doing it, he was like, uh-uh, <laughs> not doing this. This was, this was hard. Yes, it's super hard. And I also find that I've met a lot of people who have like, you know, because there are some folks out there who got real lucky and have a bit of natural talent and everything. And um, I do feel like some of the more naturally talented people have a very, very hard time teaching because they don't know what to say. They didn't actually have to go through the lessons themselves. So they're not actually sure what to tell people what to do. Yeah, and also... When I studied, I didn't study to become a singer. I studied to become a vocal coach. Still, without, you know, talking about anyone in particular or, or talking trash about people in, in general, <laughs> there is a big difference between being a good singer and being a good teacher. Huge. Just like you said, if you've had it pretty easy, then, then you probably don't know where to start. And most singers... If they have the luxury of, of only being singers, they can focus on their own voice. And that's yes. why my voice, um, occasionally, I don't have the time to, to sing myself. I teach a lot and, and I just make noises all day and you know, <laughs> weird noises. And, it's and, so true, though. It's, yeah, I'm just like, laughing. You know, or, or whatever. But, uh, and then I find myself thinking, like, I haven't been singing properly in in weeks and whenever like something comes up if it's like a recording or a gig or something it's like damn you know i <laughs> i need to get my shit together that's how i feel i very very strongly relate to you yeah this is one reason why during the pandemic well the pandemic sort of lifted here as far as restrictions go quite early relative to the rest of the world because uh las vegas people are always surprised by this well not compared to sweden <laughs> but compared to other major cities in 
other parts of the world, you know, this is not a particularly large city, actually, for what it is. There's only two million people that live here. <laughs> so uh, but the state only has a population of like five million people. It's really small. Yeah. What ended up happening is people got vaccinated really fast. Like and we had a very high percentage of vaccine stuff, like a lot before other states. So like about halfway through that when we started coming back, I felt the same way you did. And that's why I put together a band to start just to do covers. I mean, we live in Las Vegas, you know, but I was like, I need to practice singing. I, I feel the so so the same as you that I I yeah. teach all day and, and, and all of this stuff. Uh, and nowadays, too, there's this added burden of content and this and that, which you're talking and using your voice. This is kind of why I live with the podcast to one hour, too. I'm like, I'm not going to ask people to talk for two hours, three hours. I don't want to talk for two hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you feel so you mentioned earlier musical theater and then metal and the similarities. So I want to actually dive into some of your technical approaches with people in the metal genre. And because I think you have a lot of really interesting ideas about how you view vocal technique. And they're quite different than some of the standardized ideas. What do you think is the most similar thing as far as uh, the way people approach musical theater, classical singing, and then also metal? And then where do you think it diverges a lot? All right. So you only one hour, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's going to be an interesting hour, but this is right. why I'm saying we just roll with it. You take me down a road, you know? Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's the emotional side of it because I think that all three of them more or less have like a lyrical base, a foundation. Like there is, yeah. I have something to say. I feel that being loud and dramatic <laughs> uh, is, is what kind of connects it all, at least for me. And, and I mean, of course, there are softer parts in, in all of them, but, but, you know, I like being loud and dramatic. So, and I mean, sometimes in, in certain, some kinds of kinds of metal, if, it's, if you're into like cheesy power metal like me, then there's not, I mean, if you take the vocals out of context, some of the powerful anthems of, of the musical theater scene could be very similar to like Rhapsody song or, oh, or totally. something like that. So I, for me, it's it's the dramatic part. That that's where they're connected. And uh, when it comes to how, how they differ, I'd say that there are more rules in the classical world and more tradition. And who knows? In two hundred years, we'll have <laughs> much harder rules and bigger tradition in metal. And there, I mean, even if we have like subgenres and all, and there, it's the same in musical theater. You, you, you have different kinds of musical theaters. You, you're not ca casting the same person to, in, like, uh, play Christine in the Phantom, like if you're doing Rent. Absolutely, yes. Which actually makes me think of a one Jesus Christ superstar I saw. It, it wasn't Swedish, but I, I don't know how that girl ended up playing uh, Mary, but it was like. I don't know how to love. I was like, oh wow, really? Yeah, because 
those type of musicals like Rent, Jesus Christ Superstar, Bo, you know, yeah. Rocky Horror, Hedwig, you know, yeah. I would consider all Wicked, these like or you know. Yeah, yeah, more like rock operas yeah. instead of like and they're way more belter focused because it has shocked me occasionally I'll still get, cause I'll get people wanting to belt even that that aren't metal, you know, sometimes. Yeah. And it will shock me though. Like it, when they're doing musical theater stuff, if they're auditioning for a more traditional musical, like Miss Saigon or Les Mis yeah. or whatever, how much they don't want them to belt, how much belting is still like verboten unless yeah. it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> rent or something, which yeah. is like all belters, you know? So it is bizarre. The difference there. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it's tradition and it's money, you know, because people go to see a show and they expect it to be, the way it sounded in the uh, OST, you know, that they listen to at home. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're too risky or edgy with uh, casting or or make a bad celebrity casting, <laughs> you know, it, it could really. <laughs> yes. Uh, sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not. I don't know if you will like hang up on me for saying this, but you know, I I saw a lot of clips with Sebastian Bach doing uh, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, and you know. There, there was no difference between between his Jekyll and his Hyde because everything was like, do you really think that I would ever let you go? <laughs> and then all that you are is your face in the mirror. You know, it sounded the same, all of it. This is the moment. You know, it was all the same. So when it comes to Jekyll and Hyde, I prefer David Hasselhoff over <laughs> Sebastian Bach because David Hasselhoff did... An amazing Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, people don't give Hoff the credit. He, he, he's like the textbook dramatic singer. He's like, he doesn't do anything half-assed, you know. So when he had his, you know, all that you are is a face in the mirror. I close my eyes and you'll disappear. I'm what you face when you face in the mirror. Yeah. You know, it, it was like, ah, you know. So yeah, I prefer David Hasselhoff. <laughs> The Hoff is so underrated. I yeah. I was just telling my husband the other day, uh, we were talking about our David Hasselhoff, and I was like, no, he's he's a famous singer in Germany. Because yeah. <laughs> here in the States, actually, his singing has no no presence whatsoever, except for like a casting like that. <laughs> when they tore down the, the Berlin Wall, he stood on top of it and sang, I've been looking for freedom. I was like, what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> awesome it blows my mind too because he's like me he's like a german american like yeah. he's a person who is descended you know yeah. i think he was born here but yet the home of his ancestors they absolutely love him and he that was a really significant moment for him to be a, such a huge part of the teardown of the berlin wall unbelievable yeah but uh, made me think a little bit about the the original question here so i think that the tradition has to do with money, because when you go and see an opera, you want it to sound like it always did. And it's the same kind of like true metal warriors, purist cult, but those people, or like the, the same kind of people in opera, they're in charge. Yeah. And it's a like a billion dollar industry. So like if we ever in hundreds of years have a like a business where bands perform the same way as we do operas like we have, I don't know, we have the, the, 
the Motorhead House, and you know, or like the 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 shows you have in Vegas, like the in-house, like the residence shows, like mm -hmm. here be Motorhead, and you go there and watch them. And if ever metal industry looks like opera or musical theater, it would be like that. And then you will only hear the purest, super true versions of what true metal is in those places. So yes. I, I think it, it differs. Like there is, it's easier to stand out and do your own thing in metal uh, than it is in classical singing and uh, musical theater. Yeah, and I think you made a really excellent point about the sales, about it being exactly like it always was. People have this expectation. And when you said that, I immediately was like, oh my gosh, it's sort of getting like that in metal, though, as far as uh, when the front person is replaced. Yes. Um, think about, I think the best example is Journey. I mean, look at how identically Arnell Pineda's voices yeah. to Steve Perry's. And, yeah. uh, you know, they obviously didn't pick, a, they could have picked any number of other famous charismatic singers, but they chose an unknown person because he sounded exactly yeah. like the audience wanted, you know. Then on the other hand, like three weeks ago, I saw Queen and, you know, there's no one stepping on Adam Lambert's toes. <laughs> you know, he, he, he killed it. He, he is nice. amazing. And I mean, and I, I, I remember, it's the second time I saw them with him, but... I remember this time thinking, like, would I really want, like, a 70-year-old Freddie singing? Yeah. You know, it's if he hard. kept going he like he did, like, partying and doing all drugs, I mean, how would he have sounded today? Exactly. And you never know how that's going to turn out. That's why I always used to joke. Yeah. I would be like, you know what? Pantera ended <laughs> when it should have ended because yeah. I didn't want to hear them get old or you know what I mean? Or I didn't yeah. want to hear the album after that last one because you can tell when a band's starting to water down some things. And uh, you know who sounds good for his age? Although he's had, I, I believe, multiple like Ryan Keyes surgeries um, yeah. is uh, Coverdale, David Coverdale. Yeah. I think he, he canceled, like, uh, part of the European tour now because yeah. of health reasons, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but there, right. are, there are examples all over the place of, of people sounding good. But yeah, I mean, of course, there are, when we talk about differences between genres, but I mean, it, to me, it all comes down to sound. Like, how, how do we want it to sound? And how can we, how can we have ourselves sound this way? Especially when, when it's people like mixing and want to do many genres, I, I try to keep a lot of the terminology and the anatomy out of it B because now I'm generalizing here and I try not to do that a lot, but it, it, most of the time it confuses people. Mm. And, and I try to have them like imagining how do you think it sounds? How, how does it sound in your mind? The, the silent singing in the mind and, and the, the, the ability to imagine how you think it will sound. That is a powerful and often overlooked tool, I think. So let's dive into that a little bit. You said the silent singing in the mind. <laughs> Are you having vocal uh, students sort of actually pre-prepare it mentally, visualizing certain sounds. Talk about the details of that a little bit, how you approach that. I stole the idea from a guy named Sergius Kagan. He, he taught at Juilliard 
and in the 50s he released a book called On Studying Singing. And he talked a lot, he, he, his approach was from sheet music, and I, I've done some material on that, but uh, you can also do it without. What I try to have my students do is like divide things into free. free. So you have like the lyric, the rhythm, and the melody. So, yeah, if we take Pantera, if you go like, uh, under the lights do we stand tall? Nobody touches us at all. You know, like just reading the lyric uh, and, and just, you know, trying the words, especially if it's not your, your first language. Pillage the village, trash the scene. Better not mm-hmm. take it out on me. And then after that, you know, when you just try the words out, uh, like pronunciation, then you go like, uh, pillage the village, trash the scene, but better not take it out on me. You clap your hands. <laughs> or first, only clap the rhythm. And then you do, you do like the rap thing. <laughs> Pillage the village, trash the scene, but better not take it out on me. Cause Now I realize the flaw of this because we don't really have a melody, but Pillage the village, trash the scene, but better not take it out on me, cause a ghost town is found where your city used to be. And then, like, then we have the melody. Mm-hmm. So if I can do this one octave down in a soft, like, Pillage the village, trash the scene, but better not take it out on me, cause a ghost town is found where your city used to be. So I have all that in place, and I can push play in my mind and hear it, mm-hmm. like, without any other support. Then I know, like, okay, things are in place. So whenever it's time to push the village, you know, start, start doing all of that, you know, then I... I don't have to go, pillage the village, trash, trash, no, wait, trash, uh, uh, mm, trash, uh, you know, oh, no, one more time, uh, pillage the village, and rewind and singing along to Phil, you know, so, so whenever I, I start to actually sing it, I already know the musical content, and that is very, very important, and it's very hard to learn to do this. No, it's not very hard to learn how to do this, but uh, it's boring, and it's it yeah. it doesn't feel like practicing singing, and that's why it's hard. Let's come up with the. <laughs> what should we sing? I don't know. <laughs> Anything you want. My lands only borders lie around my heart. Anthem, chess. Mm-hmm. If you learn how to, to listen to that, and I, I can have my students, you know, okay. Here. I, I play it for them, and I try not to sing it first, but I, you know, I try to divide it like this. Ah. And then, and then I, I help them through it, and I, I, I spend time teaching them this routine. Ah. So, so it doesn't matter what song we're doing, but like the, the way of learning a song. And perhaps even learning it without listening to it. I'll get back to that. So that they can imagine themselves singing. So they don't hear Tommy Schorberg, the Swedish singer who, who did the original version. Because if mm-hmm. I hear him in my mind, if, if, if I hear Tommy in my mind, that is what my 
voice will try to reproduce. Yes. Yeah. And th this is what I think people sometimes mean when they talk about finding your own voice. And it's very, very hard to, to anyone who is listening, try to, to listen to your own voice singing in your mind. It's very hard. It's very yeah, hard. Yeah, it really is. Because you want to, you picture the vocalist that you sort of idolize. Yeah. And even then, uh, if somebody's really idolizing someone with bad habits, I'm always like, <laughs> oh, stop, listen to this karaoke version and <laughs> without the vocals so that you can stop subconsciously exactly. impersonating their weird habit or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and, and also because if, the, if you listen to another vocalist in your mind, it, it will never sound the same and then you will feel like a failure all the time when you sing. And that Huge point. makes you Huge feel point. bad. <laughs> and we don't want to feel bad when we sing. And I, 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 I don't teach, you know, when I teach uh, online private students, I don't teach repertoire. I don't teach sheet music or not even, I mean, I don't teach musicality <laughs> the way that I teach in school. Sure. But the, the kids I have in school, I have like assignment for them. I take these old, like, uh, Lira or stuff, you know, Swedish forgotten yeah. stuff that hasn't ever been recorded. Uh, wow. <laughs> you know, like, that people don't listen to. And I take the music and I, I, I make them like a, a paper of where, where they can read only the, the, because often it's a poem that has been, you know, just yes. put, put music yes. to it. So, so I, I, I have them read the poem. And then I give them, like, the rhythm with the lyrics so they can clap before they've heard the song before they ever heard a song at all and then have them read the lyrics in time and after that i force them to to learn because some with these students i i have to you know teach them like basic piano also so i had them like okay play this melody like Or, you know, whatever. And I don't care about how, you, how your fingering is or, or whatever. Or if you play the flute, fucking play on the flute. I don't, I don't care. You, like, learn the melody. Uh, and after that, I have them singing it in their mind for a while. And I've tried to forbid them, like, force them not to sing it. And then most of the time when they sing it for the first time, it kind of works. Wow, then, this is amazing. But, I mean, I, I, I never do it this carefully anymore because I can read sheet music pretty good. But whenever there's a hard place, even in, in metal or in classical music or in musical theater or jazz or whatever, if there's a hard part, I always try to, to tell the student or to tell myself, like, okay, what's the problem? Is it the lyrics? Well, work on the lyrics. If it's a rhythmical problem, Work on the rhythm, not on everything at the same time. If it's the melody that's hard, play it on the piano 20 times or whistle it or hum it without the lyrics so that you, you work on the problem and not trying to do everything at the same time. You know, one thing you mentioned earlier when you said, 
when you go to sing the song for the first time and you were demonstrating trying to hit the high notes and they yeah. and they weren't really coming out you know you were talking about the opposite approach if you're not mentally prepared and that's the thing about singing a lot of it's taking place inside of your mind and if you are i call that when you were doing that earlier i call that being physically surprised i always say if your body is not prepared for the sound that is coming like the next measure like you don't know what's in it because you haven't you know, ingrained it into you uh, by breaking it down. Cause you know, we all know like if you just sing along with a song and never break it down, it never really changes. But um, you, you know, it's like you're always physically surprised when you get to that part. Cause you don't really know it. You know what I mean? You haven't really prepared it. So I love your approach though. It's so different. It's really cool. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, it, I dare to say that if, if you really can't hear in your mind what you're going to do then you're just like opening your mouth and praying for the best you know <laughs> which is what a lot of people do before they come to lessons and they yeah and because you i call it the american idol syndrome where they make it seem like everyone just has it yeah <laughs> and that it's not an instrument that could actually be learned or practiced you know? yeah sure <laughs> but i mean some i i heard someone say it's like or describe this like if, if you're going to draw something, like let's say you're going to draw car and you just, without thinking any, anything else, you just put your pen to the paper and then it might end up looking like perhaps a car. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if, if you start out that, that's, if you start out like, okay, I'm going to draw a car, a red Volvo, reflecting the Las Vegas uh, sundown, the descending sun, and it's, it's uh, got tinted windows and the blah, blah, blah. You know, if you start to imagine that, like, then you got another picture in your mind. And when you start to draw, you, you, you have a plan. You know what you're, what you're supposed to do. And it's the same thing about singing. You know, you need to know the musical content that you're going to sing. And that's why I, I think it's very important as a singer to work both on your voice and on your musicality. Because a good singer without a good musicality is not very good. <laughs> I can't put it a better way than that, but, you know. Yeah, it, it, there are some vocalists where it seems just like a... Um sort of a, just a technical execution rather than an experience, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. Because um, we can have that, too, you know. Yes. Uh, I wanted to kind of divert to something a little different and and mention that um, you have been working on harsh vocals <laughs> and <laughs> doing some screams and things. And you've even done some black metal screams recently, <laughs> yes. which you've shown me, which have been really, really cool. So tell me a little bit about how did you get into starting to do those? And are you going to keep doing those? Is it just a one-time thing? Will you ever start actually teaching some people to do those? Or I, I already do. And for me, it, it, I've, I've always been doing this, the noises and the sounds. It, it always came very natural to me. But, and before, I didn't really feel like I could teach it uh, because I, I had this stupid idea that I had to know every single anatomical detail and I also felt like there was like this kind of gatekeeping thing about the terminology because I had yeah. all the terminology from many many different schools when it came came to the 
to the normal singing. Uh, but when it came to this, I, I felt like everyone was saying different things and they asked me like, is this that or this or blah, blah, blah. Eventually when I felt like, fuck that, I'm going to teach it my way like I do with everything else. Uh, and I'm going to treat it just like any other technique. You know, how does it feel? What's the effort? Um, how did you like the sound of it? What happens if you try to imagine this or that? How, what would you like? How would you like it to sound? Then I, you know, felt like, damn, this is easy. Uh, <laughs> as soon as I just stopped caring what everyone else said. Um, yes. And so, so we always did the noises, and uh, we, we have like a metal cover band where we play all the stuff that we loved when we were 15. So it's like, you know, Iron Maiden, Metallica, Megadeth, Pantera, you know, Slayer, all of that. And it, it was also, it, we were a bunch of guys who, who got to know each other at the Academy of Music. And we, we played all the stuff that we weren't allowed to play there. Uh, and so and, yes, and everyone, yeah. everyone was just throwing in songs like, I want to do this. And it was like Dream Theater. And it was like this and that. And then suddenly someone came with like Lamb of God. And I was like... All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Let, let's go. Yay. <laughs> and uh, it kind of worked. Kind of. And then, oh, let's do some at the gates. Okay, all right. <laughs> you know, nice. so I, 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 I did this, but I, I never took it seriously. It was like, but the thing, the, <laughs> the thing was, you know, I did that. And like, after you do the face of all your fears. So you do that, and then, like, the next song is Run to the Hills. Oh, man, what a weird transition. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the encore is Raining Blood. So it's like, oh, mm. <laughs> All right, and let's throw some Ozzy Osbourne in there, too. So uh, I, I've, I've done this noises for a long time, but then I started to teach it and still only did the noises. Mm -hmm. Almost exactly a year ago, I did a thing with one of your earlier guests, Adrian Cowan, mm -hmm. who is a student of mine. And we did Twitch streamy thingy uh, where she first had a normal lesson. She had like, I would like to work on this and this and this. And then we took a break and then she gave me a screaming lesson. Nice. I brought with me like a, a couple of songs. Basically asked her to help me turn these sounds into a coherent, like, music nice. like like singing and and she she had some great tips um and and i i got very encouraged by people in in the in the comments like cheering me on i was like hmm, maybe it wasn't that bad so i decided yeah. to do uh, a cover so i did like a, I, I i usually don't do like vocal covers i'm i'm not like the the youtube cover guy i don't really have the time for it and i don't really enjoy it but this was like a, a different thing so i, I all right i'm gonna do a demo borgir song so i recorded it uh, and uh, i had yeah <laughs> and uh, i had a friend mix it for me and i had another friend doing the uh, video for me uh, stephanie keo uh, an amazing singer she did a video and jack costo also from summer spires makes it for me uh, and I just put it out there. I was super nervous, but I was like, nah, nah, let's just do it. And it, still today, it's the most viewed video I have. That's so cool. Isn't that crazy how, you know, I feel the same way. Like, I was like, I need, I should do more covers. I should do more covers, you know, but it's, it's tough out there. Like, uh, the YouTube audience is not 
very particularly kind. So that's cool <laughs> no. that you had positive results because it's it can be a little nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, on a side note, I I don't really, I I I don't really want or need that. I I I have like uh, on the walls here. I have I have twenty five albums on the walls instead. So I rather do albums than do YouTube covers. But other people's other people like to do YouTube covers, and they should. It, but I mean, it, it's not for me. But anyway, I did this video and I was like, yeah, that was fun. And like a week after, uh, an old friend of mine, he wrote me like, hey, David, yeah, that Demon Borgir thing you did? Yeah, what about it? Like, would you like to join a black metal band? <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, fuck, I'm, I'm like 47. No, it was 37. Sorry. Scratch out. I was like, I'm 37 years old. I don't, I'm too old to join a black metal band. <laughs> uh, but he was like, yeah, but give it a go. And the guys sent me a song and they said, try it out. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try it out. Um, and I, it felt so easy. I, I, it's a 10 minute, uh, you know, epic black metal, like bleh, song. And it, I prepared a little bit, but the, when I started recording, it took me an hour. And you know, normally recording a song, it's a day, at least. Oh, yeah, because when you don't have to match pitches, like yeah, if your harsh like, vocal comes damn, out good. Damn, was, e this was easy. I was like, am I, yeah. is, it, is it allowed to do something this quickly? And I said, ah, fuck it. I, I sent it off to them, and they were like, wow, that sounds amazing. And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? You know, it, it, so like after two or three songs, it was like, all right, I, I think they really like it. And like t two or three weeks ago, I finished the debut album. So the, this band is called RIT, R-I-T. The first album is almost done. Now we're waiting for uh, just a little bit of guitars and then mixing. Things go a bit slow because the, the band leader has like post-COVID health issues so it takes a little time but yes now i am a black metal singer how freaking cool it's not what i usually do but it, and i i also felt like throughout the process like i the first song i did was pretty i did almost the same thing all the time uh, and now towards the end i was i felt a lot more free to like i and i recorded a lot of the parts several times like in different ways so i i could do the same part both like this and like this or this way so, you know and he could yes. choose it like okay this is because i don't know the genre so i i don't i'm literally the guy who's just screaming you know because i i don't know what to do <laughs> I mean, how interesting where life takes you, how you came from this very traditional background, but then somehow actually fell into this really enjoyable and yeah. fun area of crazy sounds and harsh vocals. Um, it's pretty awesome where life takes you. Yeah, and I, I also feel like it, it, it brings me more understanding to what my students are doing because to even if I teach uh, clean vocals, it's like the... when. when I mean, when was the last time you were a complete beginner at something? Yeah. And, and do you remember how that felt? Like, you know, people saying weird words, saying, oh, it's easy, try this. Like, no. Uh, you know, that sensation, <laughs> that scary sensation. If, you, if, you, if you're a teacher and you, you have that sensation, like, or, or 
that kind of empathy, you know, to, to know that this shit that I know very well is super fucking hard for someone else. Oh, yes, yes. And that is a fatal flaw that a lot of teachers have is forgetting what the beginning starts and then actually not teaching from the beginning, starting way over someone's head and not really making it a good experience for them. Like you always have to keep some of that, you know, that remembering what it's like to be very new to it. So you don't like go so over their head when you're teaching that actually they don't learn anything. They become frustrated. They might even become turned off of the subject in general. Um, when in, in fact, uh, but I've, I've, I've seen that many, many times where, um, the teacher is so advanced, they've actually kind of forgotten how to put themselves. So that's cool that you've put yourselves in the beginner's shoes again. Yeah, that's very I, bold too. <laughs> yeah. And I mean that that's, you know, with, with my day job, the, at the school, I, I get all kinds of students, you know, both the, the super beginners and the pretty good. And some of them are, are really good. But that was also kind of what pushed me to do more of the private and, and online stuff because I, I, I got to work with people who were amazingly good. So I got like that part too. You know, not only, and I, I love my job and I loved working on, on all different levels, but this was a new level. And I, I, I also, I felt secure doing it, but it's different when you teach someone who tours, releases albums, you know, who, who has a massive amount of fans and who, who has years and years of vocal, you know, experience. Uh, so, so you got to take it seriously. But you need to take it just as seriously when you teach, like, a super beginner. Yeah. And, and, th and that's, you know, keeping that up, that sensation of, of enjoying every moment of teaching that is the big challenge and not to not treat them like like you said earlier to not treat them equally and teach this way because this is how i teach because uh, if you're a teacher you need to have as many ways of teaching as you have students and that's why i think the the personal chemistry yes that's important but you as a teacher need to be you need to get to know the person as a teacher it's your job to fix that connection yes that's a better way to put it and you, you need to fix that connection even with people that you would naturally not find that connection with because it's your job that's your job finding that connection and by doing that you can start to understand how do i teach this person to circle back around now yeah. to think about metal vocalists uh what do you think are the maybe you know top three main things or just the top couple of things that you see that metal vocalists should focus on when they're thinking or maybe there aren't universal <laughs> ones because it is so diverse you know i can tell what i see a lot of that's the thing about this. Like, if I say something and someone is listening, this information may or may not be for you. And, and that's hard to, to, you know, figure out. But does this knowledge or this instruction or this advice apply to me? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But what I see a lot of is singers who essentially push too much. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing because they get fed with the information that use your diaphragm, you know, and they 
translate that into pushing. And I mean, uh, sometimes when you're a beginner, you need to start to use your your breathing muscles, and not only the diaphragm, but but you know uh, everything around the the chest and and the back and all of that. You need to start working with that a bit different when to when you're normally talking or, or whatever because when it's like going from walking to running when you start to, to sing but eventually things will start to adapt and if you keep pushing the, the same way when you've been strengthening these muscles and you start you keep pushing the same way you're gonna end up pushing too much and either you will get some tension up here or your vocal folds will just fuck it and go separate ways and you get this instead so that, that's a big thing, people pushing too much. I mean, in metal, certainly I feel like the volume, everyone's, const- I do feel like it's a bit similar. Classical singing, particularly if we look at classical singing after the invention of brass instruments. Yeah. But pre the invention of microphones, you know, where you have a lot of instrumental volume to contend with. Um, I feel like that is a big, huge thing with metal because the drum volume is always setting the lowest possible volume. And that's loud AF. (laughs) Yes. You know, we we have this tradition now of classical or operatic vocals in metal. And what I'm talking about now is more my personal preference, but... I think that you can't sing into a microphone in a studio the same way as you would sing on an opera stage with a hundred people in, in the orchestra and three other people trying to outsing you. Then you have to sing in a certain way. But that doesn't make sense to me, at least, in, in a metal context. You can have it sound operatic, but you can't sing it like you would sing an actual opera. Mm, yeah. So like when I say operatic, I mean kind of like it sounds at an opera stage, not the same technique as you would sing at an opera stage. Because that, that volume and, and the sound it's, it's, and the technique, it's built and, and made up to you know, pierce through like 120 people and to be heard at the, the last row. And you don't need that with a microphone. It, you risk sounding very silly. Yes. I actually have noticed over the years, and you've probably noticed this too. I'm certain you would have no- you noticed this, but I'll notice when you have a singer who starts off like, 100% pure classical because that's all they've ever studied. Actually, that was kind of me for a while. I actually could not belt, which is like one of the main things that I teach now. So I can relate to having this experience. But, you know, I've seen this where they, they graduate from college, then they join the, the metal band because it's the one place in, in non-classical music you can kind of do that. And then I notice after about an album or two, the classical singer will start changing things. First, they'll realize that there's no rules like there are in classical, and so they can change things. And then I'll notice that they'll start mixing a little bit more. Maybe not like the full-on belting. It's hard for them to relate to that, but I feel like they do start to change their technique, and, and, and they start going a little bit more modern as a couple albums go by and not sticking so hard to the constant, you know, yeah. like over and over, like... 
traditional, you know. Yeah, and, and I, I don't have a problem with the, the sound in itself. It's just like you, you don't have to work this hard when you have a microphone. So as long as you're not actually aspiring to be an opera singer, doing like proper opera, playing a role, as long as you're not doing that, then you, then you don't need that amount of classical training that people think that you need. And that's kind of where, where what our job is about. We, 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 as vocal coaches, we need to be able to listen to a voice and get a mental image of it and in a smart way explain to this singer how to improve. You know, and, yeah. and so that's why the, I think that the ability to listen and hear all the nuances in, in a voice is the most crucial and most important uh, tool for a vocal coach. And then it doesn't matter what kind of uh, terminology you use or your knowledge of, I mean, you need the knowledge of anatomy, but you don't need to tell it to the student. You, could, you should explain it to the student in a way that he or she understands. So, so the, the art of listening is crucial for a teacher because if you, if you spend half the lesson talking and telling the student a lot of technical stuff, th then you're, you're risking what, what you said earlier to, to uh, perhaps scare the student away. Like, this is overwhelming. I, I'm taking notes and I'm spending more time thinking about the Latin name of a fucking muscle than I do sitting still, singing something super easy, and just trying to, this is hippie as fuck, but, you know, trying to feel the voice inside of your body. Like, where does it resonate? And you could do that for a long time without feeling anything, and it feels worthless. And then you could take the easy way out, like learning a couple of Latin names or like fucking watch a video of some dude sticking a camera down his throat. You know, it, it will not improve your singing. It can be interesting to watch the... the vocal coach reacts video that can be interesting but don't fool yourself into believing that watching this movie makes you a better singer then you have to put in the hours of like actually singing yourself and and feeling what's going on inside of your body i mean even you and i were just saying we can teach all this if we have all this knowledge and yet we both were saying how we would like more time to physically practice our singing like all yeah. of that knowledge in there and actually there were different people in college like the pedagogue that i studied with for because i always tell everybody you know the only reason that most of us have the classical training is because they won't give you a <laughs> they won't give you a music degree in metal like that's you're just stuck with that but she um was not the world's uh she was like a legendary uh teacher and had yeah. amazing students and stuff but she wasn't exactly the world's greatest singer actually so oh. she was an outstanding pedagogue outstanding coach uh and had amazing results of the people coming out of her studio but being a performer was not like her thing you know and it wasn't her goal and i i i there's a perfect example of someone who's got an extensive amount of knowledge very effective teacher However, it doesn't translate, like you said, to literally, I, even with you and I, I still need to practice a lot. It doesn't just translate into me being amazing, you know, and I, and I tell people that too, I'll go, I'll go, it's like a personal trainer. I need to know all this stuff 
and it's interesting for you to know it, but you don't really need to know it. I'm going to tell you the exercises. <laughs> you do it. Yeah. And do the exercise of fuck what, whatever the, the muscle that I'm training in my knee is called. A lot of my students are way better singers than me, but I'm a pretty fucking good vocal coach. Uh, <laughs> and I can say that without, you know, I, I don't care if someone thinks that I'm cocky. I don't fucking care what you think. But uh, because I know it's true, you said about the metal degree, they actually have at the Academy of Music in, in Malmo where I study, they have like a rock what? voice That's teacher so cool. program and a classical uh, teacher program and, and a jazz one. And when I went there, you have to, once you start to study, then you, when you go for your specialization, like voice teaching, you have to make another application and another test and I didn't know which one of those I wanted to go, so I, I applied for both classical and rock. And I got accepted at both. And am I allowed to flex this much? Yes, I was. <laughs> so I was the only one ever uh, who was accepted at both. Oh, wow, that's cool. So this was like a new situation. So like the, the principal was like, David, we, we need you to come over because you have to choose. And they, because yeah. they never had the problem before. Either you get accepted or you don't. And they never had anyone applying for both. And they certainly never had anyone being, because there are different judges. So they, they didn't know, um. you know, it wasn't, you know, cheating or anything. And I didn't pay anyone. Uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you got into both and then you had to make a choice. Yeah. So I actually chose the classical. What was your reasoning behind that? It was my cockiness again, because I thought, well, the rock party's easy. <laughs> Ah, okay. <laughs> well, I, I would say classical but. is exceptionally challenging, you know. I think either of them are exceptionally yeah, challenging. Yeah, I, you know, I was like 19 or 20, you know. So. Oh, I hear you. I mean, that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, I'm pretty close in age with you. And 20 <laughs> yeah. years ago, they were not letting me do rock at the school. But that is pretty cool that they actually did let you. And again, I, I'm not surprised somewhere in Sweden did that. And like in the States, there are two schools where you can do that and get a, an actual accredited degree. And there one is completely on the East Coast where Adrian went, Berkeley College of Music. Oh, yeah. And then you have one on Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, the Musicians MI. Institute. Yeah, right. So you have two choices and they're as far away. As, <laughs> and I lived, where did I live? Right in, in the middle. middle. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't going anywhere. But the point is, is that, uh, yeah, that's really cool, though. That gives you a really sound uh, foundation, though. And I, I think I, I will tell people, look, if you don't have intentions of being a classical singer, I will pretty much most of the time just tell them, don't study classical because now no. there's so much more modern coaches and stuff. I was like, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, like this is what you get, you know? Uh, but even now I talked to a guy who is a singing professor at my former university yeah. where I went and he said, they're still insisting on having classical, you know, and not introducing any other forms, but he said, it's actually killing the business and the music department, like people don't want to major in classical singing because there's virtually no career in that um, anymore. People simply don't attend operas. And, and on my end, I was like a, a bit schizophrenic a while because I, I didn't really know, like career-wise, what to do. But, yeah. uh, uh, you know, where, where I live in like small, shitty backwater part of South Sweden, there's not a lot of classical 
jobs to do. I still do, you know, a little bit here and there, like uh, tenor parts in, in masses and, and stuff like that, and I love it. But it's not something that, that lets me sing a lot. And I like to sing, and I want to sing a lot. Like mm -hmm. with, with the albums, I want, I want to be on a lot of albums. So, and I want to sing a lot of shows. And if I'm going to focus on only the classical stuff, then I can't do that. So it was kind of that it's that impossible. drove me a little bit. Yeah. You, so, so, you can if you're like, again, like a classical-ish, like Fabio Leone or something yeah. like that in in a band like that but even in metal that's like a pretty small percentage of metal it's not it's not like an overwhelming percentage no. so i feel like if you are i like some of my class people in the same voice studio as me people who are in college at the same time as me i mean i only know one person who is pursued an opera career and it's just uh and as talented as they are and they've actually been quite successful doing that uh, the attendance for such things, I mean, for people in 2022, it's 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 just dwindling more and more and more. And it, and, and, and and sometimes I think back to the repertoire I did where I'm like, oh, everybody's bored of this leader that I did. I did, of course, all the German stuff, ha having a low voice, you know, and I'm like, no, no one's ever heard this effing leader because no one actually listens to this no. anymore <laughs> and i i during that time also i, I kind of lost all my musical dignity and became like a musical prostitute uh, and, <laughs> and did yeah you know did i i you know i did everything and i started at, because it was during the same time you know when i started to work you know had a family had a house had a car you know like money was like you know it so so i i did everything and i started to do like cover duos with crappy, meaty backgrounds, playing in uh, old people's houses, playing like old top 40 stuff from the 60s and 70s, doing all of that. But the thing is, when you play to like these kind of dance parties, old people's dance parties, you're not playing for an hour. You're not playing for two hours. You're playing for four hours. Yes. Oh, it's a grind. And, and you need to learn like, how do I sing for four hours and and you know learning how, how to find a, a smooth level of, of singing so that you you can start out with the soft stuff and still do like living on a prayer at 1am oh yeah and I mean some of that too is like that's where I find like adjusting the key for the sake of vocal economy comes in you know where it's like well that'll be one o'clock it would be guys we're gonna do that one a whole step down <laughs> <laughs> You know, like just just because it's not that we can't hit the note, but at the end of a four hour set. Yeah. A little I, reprieve. I, I'm still a bit childish. So I, I, I still try to do almost everything original key. But, you know, there, there are times when when I change it. Um, I, I also do like the, the troubadour thing when, when I play the guitar and, and sing on my own and I can't really play the guitar so I choose the key because I choose the key that's easiest to play and then I just have to sing nice. it that key because I know I can adapt my voice but my fingers aren't that adaptable yeah it's it's very tough to sing and play anything at the same time yeah. quite frankly it's not yeah. easy so I, speaking of live this is a great transition into what I wanted to ask you which is um, what's the future look like for you? You're obviously going to continue your vocal coaching as your main career. Um, yeah. and as a singer though, as a performer, um, 
what are you going to be doing next? Cleans, harsh, albums, anything <laughs> in the works? I, I have... Um, there are eight or nine albums that I've already recorded uh, that are... Eight or nine? <laughs> yeah, that are going to be released That's sometime amazing. soon. And it's like everything from uh, backing vocals on epic uh, power metal to this writ uh, harsh vocals thingy. And there is with uh, a Polish dude who loves Ingvar Malmsteen. <laughs> I did one album with him last year, and now it, I've finished another one. So I have, I have a list of eight or nine albums that are going to be released in different genres, different stuff. So from black metal to Ingvi ripoffs, and power metal, and wow. So I, I th there's a lot of re releases, but th that's kind of how I came to do a lot of backing vocals because, like I said, I want to do a lot of albums. So I, I do a lot of backing vocals because if you sit around waiting for guest appearances, you're going to end up doing the Fabio thing and you're, you're the guest vocalist on a song on every third Nuclear Blast album. I found my way because I am a choir conductor and I know how to arrange voices and I have a pretty boring, bland voice that melts into the background. So uh, that's why I started to do a lot of backing vocals uh, because I want to do lots of albums. That's really cool, though. <laughs> yeah. I think that's interesting. There's a lot of albums. Uh, at the moment, there's no, no tour, no live thing uh, planned. But I, I sit here in my studio and I record my... I pretend to be Queen and Blind Guardian and the Meatloaf Choir at the same time. <laughs> do you want to do live stuff? Because some people that I've interviewed actually tell me no, a couple of them, and they're just very content to do the studio thing. I would very much love to do live stuff. So yeah, <laughs> yes, I would. That's cool. Well, now that the, I mean, in all reality, we had two years where we couldn't do live anything. So it's, I think having live goals now is uh, starting to come out and people are back at the festivals. Things are happening now. And now it's a realistic goal we can actually put back on the table. It, it just wasn't that realistic for a couple of years either. So. Yeah. And I, I've done that kind of stepping in thing. That's how I ended up in Cantis and I did it for Celestial Decay, another Swedish band. So, you know, when I joined Cantis, the singers that was before me was Pelle K, the YouTuber uh, dude. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, he was the singer before me. And then on a tour before, it was Janis uh, from Beast in Black who was standing in and did Oh, my tour. God. So I had these Huge. two dudes <laughs> before me. <laughs> I was like, you. hey, I'm here now. I'm going to sing for you guys. You know, so it's like... You know, I, I'd love to do more live stuff. And I, you know, I, that's kind of how I made much of my progress. I'm, I say yes <laughs> before I think. It was like, would you like to do this? Yes. And I'm like, damn it. Now I need to practice, you know. Uh, but that kind of is what. That pushes you sometimes. Yeah, it pushes though. me. Say yeah. yes and then practice, you know. Yeah. That wraps up this episode of the Voice Hacks podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. 